Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Niall Jackson. He's just released his debut album as Swimmers Jackson. It's called Murmuration. It came out on May 8th and it was selected as the RTE Radio 1 album of the week on its release as well, which was a very nice coup for Niall. He's been making music for a long time. He was on the podcast last year in his guise as bassist with Bouts. And he's also part of the Irish Jam radio show that's based over in London as well, and to which I contribute. So I talked to Niall quite a bit about music and new music and Irish music in particular. So I was looking forward to this chat. We talked about how Swimmers Jackson actually started, how it was kind of a band. And then he moved over to London and it became this solo project He talks in the podcast about the creative process behind it, how it was recorded, how it differs from his other stuff with Bouts and also in a much heavier band called Sweat Threats. There are Weezer elements that shine through on Murmuration. So, of course, we have a Weezer uh, discussion in the middle of this chat too. There's also some normal people stuff in there. There's some cycling chat as well and we also discussed Tim Burgess's listening parties on Twitter which is one of the things that is helping both of us I think through the quarantine and keeping us entertained a little for a little bit of the day at least. Niall says during our chat that murmuration is almost like a catalogue of his 30s. Brian Coney wrote on The Thin Air which premiered the album that Jackson summons a 10-track triumph that runs the gamut from the gossamer lullaby like gems to emphatic full band efforts. Lauren Murphy in The Irish Times wrote that this short album strikes an easy balance between laid back and spirited while maintaining a sense of authenticity at every turn. You'll get to hear a sense of that authenticity if you stick around to the end of the chat where you'll be able to hear Summer's Here. But I started out by asking Niall how the lockdown due to COVID-19 is going for him and whether he was feeling creative at all over in his London home. Some days I'm really feeling creative and some days I have total stay in bed till noon, stay in my dressing gown till two o'clock syndrome. But uh, I think I'm doing okay because the full-time job I'm having to go into work three or four days a week, which puts a bit of shape on the week. And then the other days, I guess with this album, you know, so close to release date, it's really given me focus on, on getting all the admin ready. I'm, I mean, I'm doing everything. It's on, it's on Monkey Carousel Records, which is our own label all the four members of Bouts and so that's all all us for the admin side as well so I'm sending out orders and taking photographs of the album and updating social media so yeah I I feel like I've been keeping busy but if I hadn't got this album or if I wasn't a key worker I think I'd be struggling because I've had some have had some dark days yeah it's uh I don't know it's just about kind of filling them and kind of doing whatever you can to kind of make it through the day isn't it day by day yeah, kind of. I mean, even when you wanted to talk today, I was like, can we do it in the middle of the day? Because that's usually the space that you really struggle. I mean, you can kind of stay in bed a bit late, have a nice brunch, you know, catch up on your like New York Times articles, um, all that stuff. 
But yeah, I mean, it's the evenings are fine as well because I live with my girlfriend and we can kind of watch normal people or whatever the current thing on TV is. But uh, yeah, it's these middling hours that tend to tend to get you. <laughs> um, living in London like you do and working in central London as well, I've seen you put up pictures of like the place is pretty much deserted, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely gotten lax uh, in the last... It, it, hasn't def- it hasn't ever been as strict as Ireland looks from photos and it's definitely gotten more lax days of late. But uh, originally when we were kind of getting our papers to be key workers in the city and I was kind of cycling in on Monday mornings at, you know, 7 or 8 a.m., it was, it, was like it was that typical scene out of 28 Days Later. I was the only person on Westminster Bridge. I was the only person cycling up through Soho. No one in Chinatown... Uh, that's just unheard of like uh, up Regent Street these are the main thoroughfares towards Oxford Circus um, and to where um, work is there on the top of Regent Street there was nobody not a soul like I saw a fox and then I saw a massive rat and I was like this is end of days shit it's just me and the animals <laughs> um, uh, one, one thing I wanted to nitpick with you uh, do you listen to music in your headphones when you're cycling Niall? I hate to say, even in the busiest of traffic, I do. Are you not like completely freaked out by that? Well, if anyone uh, listening has cycled in Dublin and London or Cork or wherever, um, London is the least terrifying of the three because they have such strict rules on, on speeds and, you know, the black taxi drivers are so used to people that they never really beep at you and they have this amazing cycle superhighway around most of central London. It's like a blue lane just for cyclists. Um, and then I go through a lot of parks. I go through Battersea Park and then over Albert Bridge and through Hyde Park. So, I mean, I'm in the wrong. I get it, but it is a choice. And uh, uh, I try and I try and keep it to podcasts. And so I am a little bit more aware of my surroundings, but I realise I'm in the wrong. But yes, I really, I really enjoy my little ambles when there's no traffic at all and I'm only a danger to myself. I just feel like I need to um, not have anything in my ears. I I tried with podcasts as well for a while, cycling across Cork to work, um, just listening to podcasts, but I felt like I just couldn't do it. But I think the main thing is, just in case you can feel a car coming up behind you and you're like, oh shit, better get out of the way before he starts shouting at me or beeping at me. It's almost like I can't listen to anything just in case of uh, the abuse I might get uh, for like being in front of a car. Well, the the abuse thing is probably the easiest part because I don't hear it, so I don't get angry. Um, so, but then also, like, I do kind of take one headphone off if I'm climbing up Hyde Park Hill towards Hyde Park Corner. You know, um, I do take it off if I feel like I'm in any way in danger. But yeah, I don't know. It's the it's the age old debate, isn't it? Get George Hook on, see what he thinks. Um, okay, so we, we've co- we've covered the introduction and now we're on to the main part of why uh, you're on the podcast this week. You've got a new album uh, coming out, Murmurations. Uh, congratulations on the release of it. Did it feel like you'd kind of never get to the release date of it? Did it feel like it was a long time in the works? Yeah, I never thought I'd get here. There's a few little things to keep you going. Like I'm in a couple of other bands, which doesn't help when you're trying to do your own thing. Um and then obviously the full-time job and, and, and organising other parts of life. But I've had these songs, yeah, for the guts of five or six years. A couple of new ones in the last year or two. Um, and it's been three years since Darren Nolan from Asta Calapa Studios, 
you know, got in, got back in touch and was like, send me some demos. Let me see what you've got. And yeah, it was actually like the end of March 2017 when I, when I sent him like a phone demo of Summer Is Here, which is like the first track on the album and uh, going to be the newest single. And then I, it was last Christmas, like 2019, when I went and recorded Bliss, which was the last single. So getting to this time, it's been it's been three years. Yeah, it's, it's been a, a passion project for sure. Um, how does releasing an album under your own name compare to actually releasing with the likes of Bouts and Sweat Threats, your your other acts? Is it kind of like more pressure on your shoulders? I don't know. I, um, I, I kind of listened to people like David Tapley from Tandem Felix talk about it. He was good at giving me the final kick up the arse. It took him a long time as well. I, I don't know if it is less pressure, more pressure, because it's all on me. I don't have to worry about letting other people down, really. So I, I kind of clearly took it in my stride. It took me this long. But um, I guess more pressure to get it right, but less pressure in some ways as well, because you're not, you know, there's no trial by committee. It's, it's all on me at the end of the day. The Swimmers project started maybe like in the mid part of the last decade, but then it kind of became a solo project when you moved to London. Yeah, it was Swimmers, three-piece band, four-piece for a while from like 2012 to 2015 uh, in Dublin when I was living in Ratgar. And that was really um, to do with turning 30. Turning 30? I just turned those THs around. Turning 30. Um, and never having like sang my own songs or, or fronted a band myself. So just kind of for my 30th birthday party, I, I just got, you know, Barry McNeil, it's a good friend of mine and Steve McCann and got them on bass and drums and, and we played like a little birthday party gig um, of, I think it was three or four songs and a Weezer cover or something like that. And then uh, I really enjoyed it. Like I, I've always played bass and done backing vocals, but I'd never played guitar and, and sang my own lyrics. So yeah, I've just enjoyed it so much that when I came to London, I kind of A, had those songs that I'd written and B, a whole bunch of new ones about whether they're about missing Dublin or chasing things that you love. Um, so I just felt like, yeah, I don't know if you've heard the album yet, but there's definitely a kind of a side A, side B. And I feel there's like a Swimmer's Jackson side and a Swimmer's side to it. I have heard the album. I haven't heard it a whole pile, but I, I feel like it gets heavier as uh, the album progresses. Yeah. So that was intentional. Like, so... um. Uh, like side A is kind of your deep end if you pardon the swimming puns and then uh, side B is a bit more the shallow end which is like the full band kind of even though it's only me really playing on it and um, there are a couple of uh, guests stars on the record but um, yeah I kind of trying to build it like the album should feel like you're at a gig and I'm slowly being joined by band members until we kind of crash out towards the end. Yeah, because I I thought like kind of in the weeks preceding and some of the first tracks that you had released off it, that it was kind of like a solo acoustic affair, but it does have that kind of band feel, particularly towards the end. Yeah, I guess old habits die hard. Um, You know, I'm so used to my little blowout band moments that um, in my head, like the, the couple of songs that do have me playing, you know, bass and drums and synthesizers and stuff on them, they were just, I guess harping back to what they would would have either sounded like with the band lads or what I kind of had in my head so I mean a lot of the I'll say the opening songs it was very important not to overpaint them because they were written very stripped back and uh, and alone but yeah some of the later songs for whatever reason they came fully formed in my head and I could hear the bass and Dara Nolan from Astacalapa Studios was great at kind of extracting that out of me or encouraging me or stopping me when it didn't need to be overpainted so like he he played like keys on a couple of tracks like Pain in the Heart and, and Bliss. 
and he's like you're grand that's fine stop there and then other ones he uh yeah he, he kind of just let me have a go and, and let me loose on his drum kit in the loft of his studio or or you know i actually had a hoffner bass kept down in his studio so that came in handy t- as well um I, i've known you for long enough and know your music tastes as well to kind of have an idea of what you're into and i would have thought that like it's it's you know heavy heavier stuff and like as many guitars turned up loud as possible so it is kind of nice seeing this side of you i suppose come out on record yeah i, I guess on top of everything else it's the old cliche getting a bit older isn't it like you know um, if a song doesn't need pounding drums or, or fuzz bass, which like hurts me as much as anybody, you have to learn when to put it down. So um, and, and also just being in a little one bed apartment in, in London um, with my fiance, you kind of tend to just pick up the acoustic more and, and, and pluck away at it quietly at, you know, 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. So you, you, it kind of encourages those more David Kitt-esque moments of, you know, keeping it a little bit hush. Did you have to like uh, rein yourself in at all? Like kind of remember that you wanted to kind of go back to the the lighter side of things. Was it getting a bit too much at any stage? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, definitely. There's loads of moments where I, I've kind of been. That's what, another reason why it took so long, because there's so many versions of most of these songs that, you know, I, I either fuzzed up too much or this distortion that wasn't needed or, yeah, overreaching on vocals. So, yeah, a lot of that like is, is about a compromise. So. So anyone that does listen, definitely side A is definitely more stripped back and side B, I allow myself a couple of flourishes with a more indie emo, you know, rock. But a, a lot of, yeah, it was very tough to, to, to pull it back. And also the other thing I need to remember is that I'm a lot alone here in London. Aren't we all alone now? I, I'm very much alone here and I want to play these songs on my own without relying on a band. So when we do go back to playing gigs, it's been lovely turning up to venues on my own and, and, and playing these songs. And I'm hoping that next year now with a with an album and so it would be nice to continue playing around like London's myriad of venues. When you moved to London, uh, did you kind of feel like you might be leaving the music behind a little bit or but just because like you were leaving like friends and your own bandmates as well, Bouts uh, behind as well, even though Barry, the singer in Bouts, lives in uh, Amsterdam? Yeah, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I ever felt that, um, I, I you know, I. You play music because I think it's almost becomes a well, it's so cheesy to say comes party. Like, but I can't imagine not playing. So it was never really an issue. Like, we never broke up bouts, and then and then we kept on playing and, and sending each other stuff, and that kind of happened without much of a massive conversation. And then with my own stuff, like once I got my guitars over here, which did take a long time getting on all the stuff over, um, trying to dodge Reiner fees and getting the ferry from to Hollyhead and getting stuff down like that took time so probably for the first year I was here 2015 late 2015 I didn't have any music and I didn't play for about five months but um yeah it's I, I since I got my stuff over here no there was never an option and then when Matt uh, asked me to join Sweat Threats the only thing there was I, I just said it needs to not sound like my own stuff or bouts so that's why Sweat Threats is a lot heavier than anything else I've been in so yeah, it's just three little kind of sides, you know, indie, folky and, and, and post-punky, I guess. Wow, five five years in London already. That's uh, It do- it doesn't feel like that. It feels like uh, it's only been two or three. You kind of like, is Dublin almost a distant memory for you now? Because there are definitely mentions of it throughout the album and vivid images that you conjure up throughout murmurations about like Dublin. Yeah, I miss Dublin an awful lot. Like, really do. 
Um, but then again, when I go back, sometimes I, I, I don't feel like it's the same city I left. So maybe maybe I, maybe I miss my youth as much as I miss Dublin, like because it's not the same. When I go back now, you know, uh, mates have kids or, or most of them don't live in Dublin themselves. So so it's not like, you know, there's the same thing going on when I was back there. Um, but then again, like I only lived in Dublin for, well, I obviously was born and grew up in Dublin. But as far as playing music and living in Dublin, it was only about seven years um because i lived abroad before so so yeah london being five years kind of blows my mind as well but uh working in in the news uh what's happened here in the last five years has sometimes it has just felt like i'm I'm, i've been here for a hundred years you know it's been from brexit through terrorist attacks through this nonsense now through successive terrible governments let's not get into politics but it, it doesn't sometimes it feels like i've been here forever which probably makes me miss dublin even more yeah, um, I'm I'm tempted to ask about Brexit, but I think that if if we start getting into it, it could just be thirty minutes of uh, what what happened there. So I'm gonna take a guess at how you feel about Brexit, if that's okay, and we'll move on. Well, I'll give you my give you my one Brexit anecdote if you want. It was originally meant okay, to be okay. was, well, it was originally meant to be um, October thirty first, two thousand and nineteen, that they Brexited. So I I decided that. I, I didn't want to be here for that nonsense if it was going to happen so that's actually when I recorded the final song for this album I booked in to do like Halloween night in uh, Astakalapa Studios with Dara Nolan and Gory um, so yeah I, it was nice to kind of put an end on it because I was like well I need to put a deadline on my thing my good thing as well uh, as these idiots are doing their bad thing so um, yeah so it was nice to kind of at least have a dead, a fake deadline for myself you mentioned the themes that you talk about on the album, kind of missing Dublin, the other stuff as well. Like, were you surprised at those themes that came through? Is it kind of just about, like, growing up, you know, you want to kind of not confront them, but you're um, you're facing up to them, I suppose. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. Let me just see what, like, I mean, obviously Summer's Here is a very nostalgic song towards uh, Dublin and Ireland, and then... A couple of the songs are pretty much run-of-the-mill love songs, like Chasing Chasing Love or, or Love Working Out or Not Working Out. And then there's a couple there that are kind of about, yeah, lack of stability in your youth about work and your own mind and your own decision-making. And then and then I guess there's a little bit more joy in, in, in some of the latter ones where you kind of at least think for a moment you might have some stuff figured out. So I think that, yeah, it's a really honest album, definitely. Like, there's no lying or, or there's not much abstract thought going into it. Um, if you listen to it, it's fairly evident what stuff is about, you know. Um, there's not a whole lot of metaphor or similes in there. It's pretty much uh, songman territory. And and how does that compare with just the themes of writing with bouts and sweat threats? Like, do you contribute um, lyrically to them as well? Yeah, a little less so in bouts. Like Barry, the lead singer, pretty much uh, does all the lyrics. You might, I come up with harmonies, or I might come up with chorus lines or or stru- chorus structure. Um, but I leave all the lyrics to to Barry. Um, Sweat threats is fifty fifty. We kind of take turns on songs, um, and that's generally a bit more. You you know those songs when you write them because they're a little bit more angry, I suppose. Um, so that that. That, that kind of had how that works so then you're left with those kind of strip back feelings songs for yourself so yeah whether I like it or not this song this album uh, is stacked with feelings <laughs> is, is that almost like a surprise as well like oh I didn't know I had that in me 
Yeah, I'm blushing now, like it's a little bit embarrassing. Yeah, but it is what it is. Yeah, the, the songs just deal with what you're, what, what you're going through, I suppose. And, and this, I mean, Jesus Christ, everyone's had a weird decade and this is going to be the weirdest year on record for anyone in living memory. But um, yeah, I guess it's kind of catalogued my 30s anyway. Right, yeah. It kind of culminates, I guess, uh, in one way with Birthday Girl, which is like, I, d- I don't know, it's it's kind of unabashed Weezer uh, to Myers. Is that fair enough uh, assessment? Yeah, well, the first listen uh, was I've got a new neighbor here in Battersea and we have a share garden. And uh, yeah, he, he kind of he sits out in the sun and I sit out in the sun like two meters apart, obviously. But uh, the, the, the CDs were delivered to the garden uh, on Saturday and... And he uh, he was just like, oh, let me let me get get one of them. So he came out to the backyard and he said the same thing. So I'm like, right, well, that's the Weezer he sung then. Um, I think on most of what I've done, early Weezer will shine through just because I grew up on them. You know, I bought the Blue Album with my confirmation money uh, when I was like 13 years old. I think that was like 1994, or 1995. Um, so yeah, I guess if you grew up with that, I mean, thing thing about Weezer is whenever you mention them, people depending on their age, think they're a joke band or a great band. But if you remember the early years, that's that's kind of what I was going for on Birthday Girl. When was the last good Weezer album? I'm just looking through their discography here on Spotify. They had the Black album in 2019. They're actually releasing a metal-themed al- album called Van Weezer, I think this week or next week. You see, that that's how much I've dropped off the Weezer thing. I didn't even know that latest one uh black album i think i listened to once awful they had a really good throwback album called everything would be all right in the end in maybe 2015 but that was very much trying to recapture like the glory of blue and pinkerton which were the first two records so if i was going to recommend another album the green one was okay as well but that's when they started changing up bass players and getting a little bit more candy mtv internet meme yeah, they just turned into a parody of themselves. Uh, it's it's a real pity because if they'd just gone away after those first two or three albums, they would have been like legendary. What what year was Everything Will Be Alright in the End? Maybe 2015? Have you got it there? 20, 2014, it says on Spotify. I think um, the 2008 self-titled album, it's got a red background. That's, a, that's the album that had The Greatest Man That Ever Lived and Pork and Beans on it as well. That's when they really kind of started playing up to i don't know people's ideas of what weezer were and they kind of almost became a joke band to a lot of people i think yeah i think there was i mean i guess, guess they were always in danger ever since the buddy holly spike jones video you know which was really great and, and way ahead of its time but ever since then there was always that kind of thing that american bands seem to fall into doing foo fighters do it a lot as well like and the jokey video becomes your memory of the song instead of the actual song it's just that meme culture i guess and a yeah, even with videos for, for swimmers, I tend not to be tend not to be in them. I have been in a couple against my own better judgment. But um, music videos are a funny one. Like if you have money and you can get someone like Bob Gallagher to do it, who's a genius, then then go for it. But I think either either avoid them and do lyric videos or arty videos uh, if you can't do them right. Because yeah, it, it kind of can change how people feel about songs. Yeah, yeah. Um, j- just finally on Weezer, like, have you have you like completely given up? Like, do you think that there's any way that they'll make another like critically acclaimed fan beloved album again? Uh, he could do it. Rivers Cuomo could do it tomorrow if he wanted to. He's no interest though. Um, you know, I listened to one of those Song Exploder podcasts where he broke down a song that they did called Summer Elaine and Drunk Dory, and that was actually probably really influ- influential on on Birthday Girl. 
just because I, I learned a lot about syllables and inflections and and intonation and 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 just how to kind of how he does it at least so like if you if you listen to yeah Bert, i got it if you listen to birthday girl you do hear a lot of like um vocal melodies on keyboards and keyboard melodies as vocals and that's something that he talks about and also syllable placement um so yeah i think it's he has he has the talent there's no doubt about that i think he's on the new avalanches uh, song um and he's on a bunch of steve ioki stuff so yeah he definitely has the talent he just i think he's just got a little bit past it on ambition is is weezer just rivers cuomo now or is it still like most of the original members no it's still all the original members except the bass player but uh, i i believe the way they do it is uh yeah he'll he'll write them and, and they'll have their shot at it in the studio and add all those stupid bits whistles and clicks and yells and uh, yeah let, let, <laughs> let's move on from weezer <laughs> um okay you you mentioned videos there like uh when when you're starting off like maybe as a solo artist like when you're thinking about kind of the timeline of actually getting the album out are things like videos so important for bands like if they can afford them like do you think that if if you get a video that clicks like that's almost all you need nowadays i don't i think you're asking the wrong person i think i'm so far away from all that stuff now um certainly when bouts were starting out and and uh Although social media platforms like Facebook were a bit more democratic, you know, and if you actually shared your video, you, you'd had a good chance of everyone that followed your band seeing it. And um, when the algorithms didn't didn't move against you, definitely I feel like videos were in their prime, and, and bouts definitely benefited from having good videos. Um, but I don't know. As far as now, I think it's about a, uh, what how you feel. You want to be portrayed. I mean, I love the new Miles Manley series of videos he's done with Bob Gallagher. I love the Jape project where he's got different directors doing all of his songs off Sentinel. But they're real passion projects and they, they can't be returning money unless they're doing something that I don't know about. Um, so I use this thing called Rotor Video, which has a massive archive of, of old footage and nature and you can kind of choose the, the the kind of whether it's chill or metal or rock or pop and they'll give you like images in a library and you can kind of put together pretty nice videos if you have a day or two and the patience to edit it together and that's kind of like 20 30 quid i, I definitely recommend any any um bands or singers starting out that want a nice music video well shot that they don't want their own faces in head, head over to rotor video and, and check out what they have because it's like a really attainable way of doing a music video do you think it's harder nowadays for an act or a new act? Like, I don't know if you consider yourself an, a new act um, to kind of get recognition or, or to get um, attention and to actually get views just because like there's so much other stuff there. There's so much, so many other things commanding your attention. And when the al algorithms are kind of against you in a lot of ways, like it, does it kind of take a lot of work to be able to just continue on? Yeah, it won't make any difference to me at all, um, you know, with regards playing or putting out this album. But yeah, I've been at a few gigs uh, with Sweat Threats or whatever, or just with on my own, and, and you do see a lot of support acts in particular, uh, and they're really trying so hard to connect with people, and they're, you know, they've got little signs up with their Instagram address on it, or or they're like kind of, you know, encouraging people to take out their phones. It's just, that's, that's so foreign to me. Um, so... Yeah, I, I guess if I was a really young band starting out, I guess I don't know what I would do. I think I, the only reason I'm even able to do this is because A, I don't really care about what people think about me and B, I have enough friends and 
you know contacts that I can kind of push it out myself and, and not have to depend on many other people that sounds a bit ungrateful I am depending on you know Sheena Madden's doing a great job helping me out with PR uh, for Amplify Agency for just the album and um, Dara obviously from Masticalapa pushed me so hard on, on getting the song sounding better and then uh, he mixed it and then people like Rory Lynch from Bantam produced a song for me at the end of this album called So Tired and Michael Orange who plays his Featherbeds played drums on Birthday Girl because I couldn't play the drums for that one and then another friend played trumpet so like I do need help but I just mean I know my limitations and I don't kind of yeah I don't kind of go beyond them yeah are, are you are you happy with the album like are you absolutely satisfied with how it turned out and kind of the journey that you took to make it yeah it's a definitely a true reflection of of the last couple of years in London uh and it's it's you know I mean I, I would have loved a bit of trumpet on the final track but I just you know ran out of money and 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 kind of he peep contacts and then I would have loved maybe you know double bass or an upright piano on certain parts but you know you, you kind of you find your ways around them so a lot of it is about working around things and, and finding out what you're made of I think I saw like Alan Sparhawk from Lowe said something about having limitations actually makes stuff better sometimes because you have to be a bit more creative about how you obtain those sounds so um so like yeah for example like Rory did a smashing job on, on the final track to, to give me the sound in my head and that's the other thing I don't I don't read music so a lot of the stuff is is me singing it out of my head or humming it for people you know to try and ha- get it out there so so I play by ear so I'm really happy that it, that I have an album that sounds how it sounded in my head yeah and uh, I've got to ask you about uh, a few other things that you're involved with like the Irish Jam which uh, you started shortly after moving to London uh, you joined up with Keelan who presented the show and I'm a contributor to the New Music Sunday uh, slot on the show is it a good way of kind of keeping up with the new music that's coming out of Ireland? Yeah I definitely that's that's my probably best way of maintaining a link to the Irish community uh, which I value so much, like, and and I love doing it. And even though it's another like passion project, you know, um, we do it voluntarily over in Riverside Radio. We get access to that radio studio. You know, any of the bands that roll through London at this stage kind of know who we are, and they know that we're doing it for the right reasons. So, so I feel like, yeah, that's that's really great. Like, like even for example, this weekend, Keelan has Steve Fannigan who did all the sound design and some of the sound tracking for Normal People. He has him lined up and. You know, that's going to be such a great interview that I can't wait to hear. Um, and, and then, you know, we try and keep on top of the Irish arts in London. And because it's done from a place of like passion as opposed to having funding or finances, people actually come to us. So we get invited to all these things in the Irish embassy or we get asked their opinions on things or the Irish Film Festival in London ask us to like do music video, um, you know, slots for their annual awards ceremony. So you kind of become part of the fabric of the London Irish experience. And if I'm going to live in, in London and, and feel a little bit homesick for Ireland and Dublin as I do, then it's a really nice way to maintain that link and, and at least feel like you're, you're part of an Irish community. So yeah, so it's just been brilliant. That's great, yeah. And and I think one of the things as well is like being an artist and being aware of the other music that's coming out of Ireland, like the absolute breadth breadth and depth of the Irish music as well that's that's coming out like uh, and the quality too like I'm I'm always surprised uh, by some bands who like don't know what's coming out of Ireland like they can't name like an, another uh, band that they enjoy who like you know they wouldn't have a mate in the band or they wouldn't be friends with that band you know 
Yeah, I, I mean, I find that so alien. I think even when we're talking about all those age-old arguments about Irish radio play and Irish music on Irish radio, like, good God, I could listen to that, like, Irish music only. Um, and I, again, I, I, that's obviously, that's, I feel like that's even Irish music. What the hell is Irish music? Like, there's so many different genres. I, just, I could listen to the music from Ireland. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it feels reductive just to call it Irish music. It's, it's like, look at what we have. We've got every, every single genre doing so well around the world. And it's, yeah, I, I'm really proud to be an Irish musician and to be able to associate myself with the talent uh, that's coming out of Ireland. Irish music or otherwise, what kind of music have you been listening to uh, over the past few weeks kind of uh, getting you through? Are you listening to new stuff all the time or have you found yourself kind of going back and listening to uh, some old favourites? I'm listening to a lot of new music, actually. I Just this morning I was listening to that Department of Forever record. It's really cinematic. It's the, it's the guy Steve Fannigan who did all the sound design for normal people. So I got a sneaky listen to his new EP called Flickering Light. Then I was listening to Yankee. Is Yankee from Cork? He is, yeah. I was meant to go see him in London in the Severoid Arms a couple of weeks ago and that's being postponed till November. I listened to a bit of the new Delush album. I really like that single he did with Strange Boy last year. And then who else have I been listening to? God, besides the usual touchstones like R.E.M. and Sonic Youth, who I always seem to go back to and Pavement and stuff like that, Elliot Smith. I've been joining in some of those um, Tim Burgess listening parties on Twitter. So I, I listened to the Ash debut album, 1977, and that brought back so many memories. Ash was my first gig in the Point Theatre in 1997 with Kinnicky, with Lauren Laverne opening for them. Um, and then who else? I, I did the Elliot Smith one for Figure Eight that he did, and I listened to the Breeders on Sunday, one that he did. And who else? I listened to a couple of albums for the first time, Slow Dive and Cocteau Twins. I've gone back for a bit of David Kitt. Yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of... Uh, you know, sitting there at the start of the day with, with like the computer open or the record player open and picking a new record. Uh, also, going back through my vinyl collection has been really nice. I think I think Andrea Cleary from Nine Nine's podcast talked about this. Going back through your own purchases and finally having the time to listen to like your A to Z catalog. And I I did that high fidelity thing. I, I reorganized all my records A to Z. I have a, I have one shelf for every everything else, and then I have one shelf for Irish. So I've got a, I've got a hundred of each. So so you've you've been using your time wisely uh so over the past few weeks. Yeah, I'm going to polish them next week and then uh you know, I've also been drawing album covers actually funny enough just to when it's been sunny in the back garden getting a few sharpie markers and drawing my favorite album covers. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess a good time to do stuff that you've you've always meant to do and never done before but just because you mentioned it, I've also found myself really enjoying the Tim's listening parties on Twitter. It's Tim Burgess, um, who he, he just seems to have managed to get a, a load of bands who want to talk about their albums. Everybody kind of presses play at the same time and the bands uh, tweet out little factoids about like how a single was recorded or how a song was made or an interesting story around it. And then fans just talk about their own experiences with the songs. It's really, really nice, isn't it? It's a nice communal kind of bringing together of people of, of music fans yeah it's communal and it's innocent and I guess for someone even my age it's something that I remember more of like you know I'm working in TV and there's so little to make everyone gather around the TV now and those water cooler conversations are, are, are kind of gone about like you know TV shows so it's nice to kind of go back and, and, and appreciate albums and and if anyone else is talking about them you know you can just you know it's nice to have a space while we're on our own in the rooms and be able to talk about the first time you saw Ash or your memories of Elliot Smith being wasted in the tripod in Dublin back in the day. 
and then other people being like oh i was at that gig too and yeah it's, it's very innocent and wholesome and, and I, I hope it continues even past the lockdown because i'm a firm believer in the album um, and I actually really hope people listen to this album as one piece because that's the way it's written and track listed. Yeah, I, I, I think that kind of communal idea of music is so important just because nowadays so much listening is done on your own. You know, people have earphones in. They're only getting the album as a kind of a singular thing. Um, I think it was on the New York Times podcast, the Popcast, uh, which is a really good music um, show. They were talking about the Tame Impala album and like, you know, Tame Impala is one of the biggest acts in the world, even though and it just feels like so many people are just listening to it on their own. And then they turn up to a Tame Impala gig and they kind of have this almost new experience of him because it is a communal thing. Yeah, that must be weird for Kevin Parker uh, of Tame Impala or, or, and for the fans as well but I mean I, I guess I've all, I, you know, I remember queuing for OK Computer outside Virgin Megastores in the square in Tala with six of my friends and like we joined a pretty lengthy queue there was no signing there was no performance it was just literally the nearest uh, record shop that, that was selling OK Computer and they were, I think they were playing in Dublin that night in the RDS um, so it was just so exciting to queue up for it to open and, and, and all get the album and get back on the bus. And we all went home and listened to it and there was no phones. And then we all met back up and we all just talked about it. You know, it's like really innocent. But I think that's why I like those Tim's Twitter listening parties, because kind of reminds me of those times. Yeah. Um, and finally, you've mentioned it a couple of times. Normal people, the TV show and the book, I suppose you read the book a couple of years ago. How are you finding uh, the TV show? And try not to put too many spoilers in for people just in case. OK, well, I think I was in the airport in London going away on holidays and I may have even texted you for a recommendation and you recommended normal people to me. Uh, I really loved it. But as a result, in my head, Connell was you. So when I went to watch the TV show, to be fair, the casting is amazing and Connell is probably more like the guy that I think it's Paul Meskel is his name. Probably is more like him if you look at the descriptions or listen or read the book thoroughly. But yeah, I was like, oh, this is weird because it was always Owen in my head because he recommended it. And then I won't say who I had in my head as Marianne, but uh, it was exactly the girl that they have cast, you know, so I think that was a brilliant piece of casting. She, I think she's like actually from London, but she puts on the best Irish accent and uh for me now it's a really simple meditation on love that whole program and i wasn't sure if it would sustain itself over 12 episodes but it's just such a simple premise like isn't it just like two people falling in love growing up you know it's just you know people there's so many bloody armchair critics but like just watch for what it is it's even soundtracked beautifully it's shot beautifully by lenny abrahamson um i just think there's very little you can criticize about the show and the music is like fantastic loads of irish artists in there uh, yeah, for me, that's like a, a show of our time. I actually, you know, this is the other thing, maybe like the final point on that normal people uh, conversation is that more TV shows should, should be using like a music from Ireland because it works. We don't need to go and use those, you know, there is a couple of great London grammar tracks and stuff like that. And there's a version of Lovell Terrace Apart. But yeah, you can use Irish artists and it can be used worldwide and, and, and the quality doesn't dip. It actually is better for it. So that was Summers Jackson. You can get Murmuration on his Bandcamp page, summersjackson.bandcamp.com. 
the initial print run of the Murmuration CD sold out, but I think he's getting more done on a different color as well. So you can uh, buy a physical copy of the CD and support Niall in all his endeavors over on Bandcamp. And so as promised, here is Summer's Here off Murmuration. Thanks again to Niall for the chats. Fall by and you cry 